Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with writing historical wrongs and creating new ones. Last month, Louisiana's Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards, took a long overdue step, clearing the name of a civil rights hero with a posthumous pardon of Homer Plessy nearly 130 years after his arrest for violating the Louisiana Separate Cars Act of 1890. Plessy was a New Orleans shoemaker and part of a group of activists of color known as the Citizens Committee who volunteered to challenge Louisiana's law, which resulted in his arrest. Plessy sued the judge, who upheld the law all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in 1896, in a 7-to-1 decision, the court ruled that the Separate Cars Act did not violate the Constitution. And it's not just what this court did that matters today. It's how they did it. In that infamous ruling, Justice Henry Billings Brown wrote, quote, Laws permitting and even requiring their separation in places where they are liable to be brought into contact do not necessarily imply the inferiority of either race to the other and have been generally, if not universally, recognized as within the competency of the state legislatures in the exercise of their police power, unquote. In doing so, the court became probably the most notorious Supreme Court in U.S. history. At the time, they were arguing that legal equality did not ensure social equality. It was on black passengers if they took it poorly that they were riding in cattle cars instead of nice rail cars. In other words, harming black people is fine in America, as long as you don't say that you're creating legal racial inferiority. Got that? And by enshrining that separate but equal doctrine for the next six decades, that notorious court gave legal cover for segregation and Jim Crow, clearing the way for a continued assault on the rights of black Americans that would last until a modern court overturned it in Brown versus the Board of Education. Now, the activists on the current court are showing that precedent doesn't much matter to them. They're declaring open season on the voting rights of Americans of color, escalating the war on the Voting Rights Act of 1965 in a bid, it seems, to become the new Plessy Court. In a five to four ruling, the court cleared the way for Alabama to use a new congressional district map halting a lower court decision that it violated the Voting Rights Act by denying black voters a new district. The five judicial right-wing horsemen of the apocalypse decided that it is fine for Alabama to gerrymander to hurt black people, so long as they don't explicitly say race. Associate Justice and credibly accused sexual assaulter Brett Kavanaugh, beer pong screamed in his opinion, and it's too close to an election, taking a page from his spiritual father, Mitch McConnell. He also tried out the excuse that the case was not decided on the merits. Oral arguments will be held later, but not before the midterm elections. Conveniently for Alabama Republicans. In her dissent, Justice Elaine Kagan was having none of that, writing that Alabama is not entitled to keep violating black Alabamians voting rights just because the court's order came down in the first month of an election year. She argued that granting the stay does a disservice to the lower court's application of precedent. And most of all, does a disservice to black Alabamians who under that precedent have had their electoral power diminished in violation of a law this court once knew to buttress all 
of American democracy. Now, if you need any indication of just how radical this decision is, Chief Justice John Roberts, whose legal career has been devoted to dismantling the Voting Rights Act, finally just gutting it outright in 2013's Shelby decision, he sided with the liberals, accusing his fellow partisans on the court of going too far. In the meantime, litigation will continue. The plaintiff, Evan Milligan, said in a statement, we are reminded of the strength and dignity displayed by our ancestors who routinely confronted a wide variety of disappointments. We won't dishonor their legacy by putting down the torch they have handed to us. Joining me now is Ellie Mastal, Justice Correspondent for the Nation, Joyce Vance, former U.S. Attorney and co-host of the Sisters in Law podcast, and Duell Ross, Senior Counsel and Director of Professional Development for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Mr. Ross, I want to start with you first. I want to put this map up. So Alabama's uh, Supreme Court had approved a, a congressional map, and we'll just put this map up. And you can see that essentially one district is drawn. And it's the, uh, P- Terry Sewell's district, essentially. The one district for black uh, people in, in that state. Yet, white Alabamians are 69% of the population. African-Americans, black folks are 27%, just shy of 27%. In, indigenous people, 0.7. Asian Amer- uh, American, one5 Two or more races, 1.8. You just go down the list. Latinos, 4.6%. This is not an all-white state, and yet is being governed, essentially, as if non-white voters have essentially no rights. I want you to take us inside these arguments. What justification possibly could these right-wing five judges have had to make the decision they did, other than just the Plessy justification of, we just wanted to do this? I think what Justice Kavanaugh said, uh, which we disagree with, is that it's just too close to the election. And what he's essentially saying is that any, even though this court, you know, we sued within days of the map being enacted, the court acted with lightning speed and ordered uh, briefing and argument and uh, a hearing over seven days in January, issued a decision uh, a little more than a week after our seven days of hearings ended and said, you know, we, we are doing everything that we can, that the elections are not close at hand. And yet the Supreme Court sort of disregarded that and essentially is immunizing uh, any kind of changes to redistricting from courts for the 2020 election cycle. And just to stay with you for just a moment, because what, what seems to me to be the worry here is there are a lot of other states that want to do similar things to voters of color. And let's skip down. This is uh, cut five for my, my producers, element five. So Arizona has a, a plan to require people to submit a written excuse to early vote, something that black voters, church voters heavily rely on. In Florida, there's a federal trial over Florida's changes to voting laws because they're focusing on restricting registration. We obviously know the, uh, you know, the very well-known Georgia law. What message does this send to litigators like yourself and those at LDF who are fighting these laws? It seems to me that even in a case like North Carolina, where Democrats win at the state level, at the state Supreme Court level, all the Republicans have to do is try to advance it directly to the Supreme Court. And it looks like they've got at least five justices who will go along with anything, no matter how perverse. Yeah, I think that's the difficult thing is that this is this as a, the reason why the Supreme Court is ruling on this case is because it's the first one out the gate. It's early. It's the first week of February. Right. And the court is already saying that it's too late. And right now, the, our, some of my colleagues are in trial challenging the discriminatory laws that have been passed in places like Florida and Georgia and Texas. And no matter how quickly those courts act now, it seems to be that the Supreme Court is saying that it's too late in an election process that, frankly, hasn't even begun yet. Um for any kind of relief. And so I think that the Supreme Court is essentially giving uh, 
states a free pass for at least the 2020 elections to continue to discriminate no matter how quickly any court acts. That, that certainly seems to me what it appears to be. And Joyce Vance, uh, native Alabamian yourself, you know, the black Democratic lawmakers have basically said, DOJ, you need to get in here. Um, this is the letter that they wrote. 44 House members, um, members of the Congressional Black Caucus, um, 44 out of the 56 members signed a law saying these, these unabashedly racist, these unabashedly racist and partisan attacks on our nation's democratic principles must be forcefully condemned and expeditiously reversed. Congress looks to you, the Attorney General of the United States, to enforce the Constitution and our voting rights laws with unmitigated um, vigor and, and tenacity. Your thoughts here on whether the Justice Department is likely to weigh in and what could they theoretically do? DOJ is committed and they've followed through on the commitment to doing the best that they can do with the laws that remain in place. Uh, but El as Ellie and I have discussed with you many times before, Joy, the Voting Rights Act has been gutted in many regards. Section 5 gutted in Shelby County versus Holder. Section 2 gutted in Brnovich last term. So DOJ can bring claims, but it has limited ability to maneuver. A and Chris England, the head of the Alabama Democratic Party, tweeted something last night that I think hits the nail right on the head. He said it's time for the Senate to pass a new Voting Rights Act. We need to have the legal tools in place, the law that was passed by bipartisan majorities over and over and suddenly fell out of favor with Republicans. It's time to restore the Voting Rights Act. Well, good luck with that, with the Eastman and Thurmond wing of the Democratic Party, Manchin and Cinema weighing in. They're going to be like, nope, can't do that. Our donors didn't say we could, so no. Um, you know, Ellie, I I'm going to let you weigh in here because I feel like this is the new Plessy court. They've made it very clear that the stare decisis thing are just worse than they don't really care about precedent. They're going to stomp all over precedent because they have a political agenda. And it is the same political agenda as Donald Trump and right wingers. And they're just going to do it. And they don't really care. Yeah, Joy, I don't know what to tell people. The, the, this is no longer like Jim Crow. This is Jim Crow. This is what the court did back during the Jim Crow era. My mother is 70 years old. She was born 1950, more than 70 years old, born 1950 in Mississippi. She has lived through this, and it's happening again. And I can't seem to get people, including Democrats, to care. Because at the end of the day, all the court has to do, all the Supreme Court has to do is refuse to enforce the 15th Amendment and apply it against the states. We've had laws yeah. before. We had the, vote, the Civil Rights Act of 1870, which made it illegal to, to discriminate on the basis of race and voting. Did it matter? No. Not when conservatives control the court. We had a law in the Civil Rights Act of 1875 that made it illegal to discriminate pe against people in public accommodations. Did it matter? No. Not when you let conservatives control the Supreme Court. So as long as you let conservatives control the third branch of government, nothing stops. Nothing happens. Only the racism is allowed to continue. That's what Brett Kavanaugh did. That's what Neil Gorsuch did and the other rest of the five of them. And don't give any credit to your boy, John Roberts, because while he nope. sided with the liberals on the procedural issue, he made it pretty clear that when it comes up on the merits, he's also going to allow the racist Alabama maps to go through. I can't help you if you don't. Black people can't help you. Black people can't yeah. save this country from the Trumpers if you don't let us. And the only way you can let us is by con is by stopping conservative control of the Supreme Court.
Yeah. And let me go back to you, Mr. Ross, because you're the one in the middle of, of doing these these cases. Um, this is what Associate Justice uh, Henry Billings Brown, this was his logic for separate versus equal back um, in the Plessy decision. He said the most common instance of this separate being being fine is connected with the establishment of separate schools for white and colored children, which have been held to be a valid exercise of the legislative power, even by courts in states where the political rights of the colored race have been longest and most earnestly enforced. We're still it's still legal for us to have this knowledge. What, what worries me here is that this is now kind of the mantra of the Republican Party, that you can do discrimination all you want. You just have to not say race. As long as you don't explicitly say race, you can do any kind of discrimination you want. And this Supreme Court is going to back you up. They've made that very clear. You can also harm women. You can do whatever you want, really, as long as you're not as long as you're creative in the way that you argue it. And so I wonder for you and for LDF, as you all go back before these guys, because you know Roberts, to Ellie's point, is going to side with them next time. I wonder if there is a legal strategy that you can maybe share with us. You know, maybe we don't want to tell them. What next? What do we do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's difficult to say what the Supreme Court is going to do. I think, obviously, there are things that Justice Roberts said that are concerning. I think that the reality is that we don't know exactly what they're going to do. I think that the Three judges below, though, gave us a really great blueprint for arguing that even though the Supreme Court may raise the standard for what Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act requires to prove that black voters are facing discrimination in these congressional maps, that there's still a a chance that the the court will not say, you know, that the Voting Rights Act is inapplicable in any instance. And I think one of the things that the district court said, which was made up of two judges who were appointed by President Trump, um, was that even if you applied the heightened standard that Alabama is proposing the Supreme Court should apply to Voting Rights Act claims, plaintiffs still win. And the court said that that, there was essentially no question about it. And even Justice Gorsuch, or excuse me, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Alito in their concurrence acknowledged that, you know, the plaintiffs presented a robust claim and that they were not necessarily... ruling on the merits at this point. So, you know, obviously we face a difficult uphill battle, but we're not giving up and we think that we still have strong arguments in favor of our case. Uh, I wish you luck. Ohio is still out there. Ohio has rejected the the legislative maps um, that were drawn by Republicans there. North Carolina, big win for um, for Americans. Um, North Carolina political maps were 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 rendered unconstitutional and two gerrymandered. Pennsylvania, a PA, a Pennsylvania judge sided with democracy with Americans Um, on that congressional map, Florida. There's going to be some uh, a ruling there. And then the problem is, even if you know, pro-democracy forces. It isn't Democrats winning. Is if people who care about the right to vote win, we now feel like there's a Supreme Court that is ready-made to say, bring it to us. We'll get rid of it. Um, amazing. Uh, Ellie Mistal, Duel Ross, welcome to the show. Hope to have you back very soon. Joyce will be back in a bit. Up next on The Readout, the divide between the Republican Party over calling this legitimate political discourse. The ones who reject that description do not have an election coming up. And then there are people like Ron DeSantis who are scared to say anything at all. Also, which prosecutor will indict Trump first? Georgia's Fonnie Willis puts the former president on notice. She is not messing around. And tonight's absolute worst are saying, look at us, we're slightly less revolting than our repulsive friends. Yay! Do you want a medal to that? The readout continues after this. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. 
Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Look, Mike Pence is a good man. He's an honest man. I think he did what he thought was right um, on that day. But I will always say, I just, I'm not a fan of Republicans going against Republicans because the only ones that win when that happens are the Democrats and the media. Did she ever meet Donald Trump? That was Republican Nikki Haley making a point to go after former Vice President Mike Pence for simply stating the obvious, the truth, that he could not overturn the election. Now, she is the perfect encapsulation of what is wrong with the Republican Party right now, where you are persona non grata if you dare to criticize their dear leader. And a violent insurrection is now classified by the official party as legitimate political discourse. Haley has a history of ping-ponging between meek criticism and total adoration of the disgraced, twice-impeached former president, who aptly pointed out once, every time she criticizes me, she uncriticizes me about 15 minutes later. I guess she gets the base. In 2016, like many Republicans, Nikki was appalled at Trump's behavior during the primary and then turned right around and became a supplicant once she had no choice, culminating in her position as UN ambassador. She wrote in her book that she had been deeply disturbed by his both sides Charlottesville remarks, but also claimed with no evidence that LaRange had worked hard to address the country's racial divides. She stood by him after the 2020 election, even as he was questioning the results. Republicans will never let him go. We don't want to go back to how it was before President Trump. We want to build on it. We want to make it better and we want to grow. And we owe him that. We owe him that to keep fighting. Uh-huh. But the day after the insurrection, she said his actions since Election Day would be judged harshly by history. That tone changed a few weeks later. They beat him up before he got into office. They're beating him up after he leaves office. I mean, at some point, I mean, give the man a break. Hmm. Then weeks after that, she said, quote, we shouldn't have followed him and we shouldn't have listened to him and we can't let that ever happen again. But mere months later, this ping pong is crazy. She said, well, she would back Trump if he ran in 2024, for sure, for sure. And now she's taking the position that it's somehow divisive to criticize him for fomenting a coup. I'm exhausted. With me now, David Korn, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones and author of This Land Newsletter and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large for The Bulwark. And Charlie, this is, I mean, uh, my head is spinning. This woman can't decide whether Trump is the worst thing or the greatest thing ever. And it, it just, all that it says to me is that somehow in her Nikki Haley brain, she still thinks she could be president, maybe? That, that seems, that's the calculus, right? Uh, who knows? Or she wants to be a vice president <laughs> on the ticket. But I mean, you, 
I wrote this morning uh, the question, does she understand how ridiculous she looks ping-ponging back and forth? But again, this is your brain on Trumpism. And then you, you point out this doesn't encapsulate what's going on in the party. And, you know, the last several days have been awfully interesting because, you know, a, a lot of these politicians are being asked difficult questions. Who's right, Donald Trump or Mike Pence? Was this legitimate political discourse? Um, uh, you know, was the, you know, or was it a, a violent riot? And you can tell it's a really hard question for a lot of them. And this is a very difficult moment. Ron DeSantis fuse, refuses to answer the question. Uh, Nikki Haley and Marco Rubio be clown themselves. Kevin McCarthy <laughs> runs away literally in, in, the, in, in, in the hallway. And the rest of them are dancing around. So because this is this is a deadly question for them. Because Donald yeah. Trump is really, you know, he keeps raising the ante that you, the price of your loyalty is now not just um, to believe all of my lies about the election, not just believe all, you know, go along with all of my policies. But now you have to now embrace his crazy anti-constitutional notion that Mike Pence could have overturned the election. And so this is a really interesting moment where you can see the Republicans who are so confident and cocky about the election are starting to worry about it. Is this going too far? Because they can't answer these questions until you end up looking like Nikki Haley did there. I mean, it's rare for Republicans, honestly, I have to be honest, to, to take these kinds of hard questions. And it, it seems to me that, uh, to say with you for just a second, Charlie, Ronna Romney McDaniel just messed up. She made him a, yeah. a, an unforced it, error. So when she when they put that statement out and decided to rebuke these two members of Congress, right. they fell on the wrong side of the intelligent um, messaging war. And so now the media has no choice. But every time a Republican is standing in front of them to ask them, was that political discourse legitimate or what? Was that legitimate political discourse? Is Mike Pence right or is Trump right? They are now sort of hammered in because they have right. to answer it now, right? And here's some, let me yeah. show you what happens, what Beautiful. it looks like. Real quick, stay with you for a minute. This is what it looks like when that doesn't matter to you anymore. Because you already built your 6-3 MAGA right-wing Supreme Court that's going to give every rich person and corporation everything they've ever wanted and lock in white minority rule forever like it's 80s South Africa. This is what it looks like when you just don't give a damn anymore and don't have to. Here's Mitch McConnell. Let me give you my view of what happened January the 6th. And we're all, we're here. We're here. We, we, we saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. The issue is whether or not the RNC should be sort of singling out members of our party who may have different views from the majority. That's not the job of the RNC. Spoken like a man who's going to mm -hmm. retire with his three-pointed scepter, having done all the devil's work. Well, let me push back uh, on that a little bit. Look, um, Mitch McConnell would not have come out and made that statement unless he was worried about something, unless he thought that this issue was hurting his chances to get the majority. I mean, everything that Mitch McConnell does is aimed toward these Everything. midterm elections, getting back to be the majority leader. And he understands that embracing the crazy, embracing the lunatic, going along with Donald Trump right now um, could hurt their chances in those states that will determine who controls the United States Senate. So, look, Mitch McConnell dropped the ball at the key moment um, when he voted to acquit the president. But think about what he said. He went beyond what Mike Pence said. He said the election was legitimate. He said this was a violent insurrection. He specifically called out the RNC. So this is a real moment where you do have Republicans who are at least at the minimum of food fight. Maybe it'll escalate to something more than that.
Yeah, he, he's doing that now. He wouldn't do that right after January 6th. Let me go to you, David, because you wrote a piece here sure. about the fact that maybe we just can't handle the truth about the about the insurrection. You wrote the wickedness may be too immense for the nation to absorb. Uh, they The attempted Trump coup similarly may be too profound a breach to be processed by our fractured political system. But let me add the Atlantic to your argument, because they write about the fact that Donald Trump can't handle it, that his little brain can't handle losing and that being a loser is the thing his daddy told him you can never be and that he literally his narcissism and fragile self-esteem cannot handle it. That's what the Republican Party is chained to. Your thoughts? This is not about Donald Trump. He is one man. I agree with the Atlantic. He's a broken man. He's a narcissist. He's pathological. And but this is not about him. This is about 70 million Americans. It's about the Republican Party. It's about people who are buying this hook, line and sinker. And let me I'm ready to go with my good friend Charlie here, because, yes, what Mitch McConnell said today indicates he is worried about this. But let's not go too far back in the time machine to the second impeachment when McConnell got up there and said, Trump's responsible. This is the dereliction of duty. He's morally responsible. You can't send people into a frenzy and then not take responsibility. Literally less than two weeks after that, he said he would absolutely support Donald Trump if he was the nominee in 2024. So now he's no Nikki Haley, but he certainly could get bronze <laughs> in the gymnastics uh, competition, even though it's Winter Olympics time, um, in terms of flipping back and forth. So today, you're right, Charlie, he calculated that he needed to come out there and try to turn this thing off in some way and push back. But he is, you know, has he come out and denounced Trump, who always denounces him, and said that he should not be the nominee, I will fight against him. We found who was derelict of duty, when the Capitol was being attacked, should still be commander in chief again someday? No, he hasn't said that because it hasn't been in his political interest yet. So until he, he does that, I, you know, these are not, you know, Joy, you said these are hard questions. These are not hard questions. They're not. The craziness <laughs> is that people oh, treat them as hard they questions. are. Oh, no, no. If you're Ron DeSantis and you're asked who's right, Mike Pence or <laughs> Donald Trump. That's a hard question. Um, it's a hard question for you. <laughs> well, it's a really hard question because you know now that if you don't embrace the the coup, if you don't embrace the yep. insurrection, if you don't embrace the lies, you're going to be a pariah. So, you know, Donald Trump is not making it easy, but, but yep. David made an important point. <laughs> the Republican Party does not have a leadership problem. It has a followership problem. And er- everybody right. here is pandering to a base that has bought into all of these conspiracy theories. And until that changes, don't expect that anyone on the top is going to change the overall dynamic. If you try to say Donald Trump is wrong, they will treat you like you, you know, passed out the 1619 Project in school or supported Black History Month. They will run you out the party. David Cord, Charlie Sykes, thank you very much. Still ahead, a Georgia professor says presidential immunity will not protect Donald Trump if he tried to illegally meddle in that state's election results, which he clearly did. And do his recent threats against prosecutors amount to obstruction of justice? We will inquire when we come back. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. 
Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. These prosecutors are vicious, horrible people. They're racists and they're very sick. They're mentally sick. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta, and elsewhere. That was Donald Trump's not-so-veiled threat last month to unleash his MAGA mob on the law enforcement officials who are currently investigating him in New York and Georgia. And it is no coincidence that he's accusing them of racism, given that all those law enforcement officials are African-American. That's like the thing that right-wingers do. It's a threat that District Attorney Fonnie Willis of Fulton County, Georgia, is taking seriously. She asked the FBI to help secure her office as she investigates Trump's effort to steal the election in that state from Joe Biden. Here's what she said last night about Trump's attempts to intimidate her. I don't want to pretend like I didn't hear what I heard. Um, you know, it would be just crazy for me to not pay attention to that. So I wanted to make sure that they were also paying attention. Legal experts tell The Guardian that given Trump's history of inciting violence, particularly on January 6, 2021, his latest threat could constitute obstruction of justice. As one former federal prosecutor put it, Trump is essentially calling for vigilante justice against the justice system. Meanwhile, Willis is showing no signs of apprehension about the task at hand. She told CNN she's likely to issue numerous subpoenas this spring and will make a decision on possible charges by the end of the year. Back with me is former U.S. Attorney Joyce Vance. And Joyce, just right out of the box, I I understood it to be illegal to threaten a prosecutor. How is it not already a crime to simply threaten not one but two but three prosecutors? You know, Joy, one of the hard realities of being a prosecutor is that you get awfully uh, used to and in some ways almost immune to being threatened because it comes with the territory. The real problem here is the context. And we know that this is someone who's profoundly uncommitted to the rule of law, who is very slippery when it comes to dealings and who in the fa- in the past has encouraged his supporters uh, in events that resulted in violence. So I think Fonnie Willis did the smart thing here. She invoked the FBI. And I would expect her to not tolerate too much more here. If she reaches the point, and I'm singling her out because I think that the threats in some way are directed towards her in many ways. Mm -hmm. But if she sees this going to something that's very clearly obstruction of justice, I wouldn't expect to see her indict a premature case. At the same time, this is a strong, smart, experienced prosecutor. I don't think she'll tolerate crime. Yeah, it does feel like obstruction. But here's another thing that seems like it. I'm a layperson. I'm not a lawyer. So to me, I'm like, oh, this seems like an obvious crime. Here's Donald Trump calling Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state, and said, I just need 11,000 so votes. There's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 
11,780 votes, which is one more that we have. And he means one more than we need. You took from the rest of the conversation. That's the context. Even if he would try to mitigate it by saying, well, I genuinely believe that I had won the election in Georgia. The part about saying I just need the specific number of votes, which is one basically one more than I need, feels like an admission. So I wonder if you were the prosecutor in this case, what mitigating factor could possibly deter you from indicting somebody for uh, attempting to you know, violate the election laws of Georgia? This is a pretty good piece of evidence, Joy. I'd be proud to take a case to trial if I could pay, play that tape for the jury. But let me try to set the table a little bit to help people understand the difficulties prosecutors face. When we look at that evidence, I think we, or at least I start with a little bit of confirmation bias. It seems very clear to me that the former president was interfering with the election when he did that. In a, in a courtroom, in a criminal case, the judge will tell the jury that the defendant is cloaked with the presumption of innocence, and it's up to the prosecution to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And that means prosecutors are incredibly careful about compiling evidence. And you've identified exactly the important issue here. Prosecutors will have to prove what seems self-evident to so many of us, that Trump knew he had lost the election and that he was trying to steal it. Not that he believed he had won the election and was trying to carry out some form of a duty. So that's why Fonnie Willis will use this special grand jury. She'll talk to everyone who came into contact with the former president and put together her case. And then at the end of the day, she'll have that delightful tape to play for the jury. Well, let me play a bit more on Fonnie Willis, um, the, the prosecutor, um, saying that Donald Trump is not going to stand in her way. Uh, take a look. This is a criminal investigation. We're not here playing a game. I plan to use um, the power of the law. We are all citizens. Um, Mr. Trump, just as every other American citizen, is entitled to dignity. He's entitled to be treated fairly. He will be treated fairly in this jurisdiction. But I plan to do my job. And my job is to make sure that we get the evidence that gives us the truth. Um, I'm not concerned at all about games to delay this. She's also said she will not be deterred uh, by claims of presidential immunity. I'm going to put up the three sort of possible, you know, menus of charges Donald Trump could face um, from solicitation of election fraud in Georgia to tax fraud in New York to tax fraud and mortgage fraud in a New York civil case. When you look at all of the things he's facing, what seem to be sort of the richest areas for prosecutors in those two states? In so many ways, it seems to come down to different species of fraud, whether it's election fraud, whether it's it's uh, some sort of insurance or business related fraud. That seems to be the core of everything that goes on here. But let me caution people and say this. Prosecutors often come up with crimes that they don't go into an investigation with. And I think we shouldn't rule out the place that you started, Joy, with this notion of obstruction. And ultimately, mm. it may turn out that in Trump's case, the cover-up is worse than the crime. A very, very interesting. This is what we love talking with you. Uh, Sister-in-law, Joyce Vance, thank you very much. Appreciate you. And stay right here. Tonight's absolute worst is straight ahead as conservatives try to ease us into a post-Draw America. How generous of them. We'll be right back. While a woman's right to choose what is right for her own body is under attack across the country, one state is preparing a first-in-the-nation guarantee to my body, my choice. 
Today, Vermont lawmakers passed a constitutional amendment that would guarantee the right to an abortion. It would it will appear on the ballot for voters in November and is expected to pass in a state where 70 percent say abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Now, of course, you can't ignore the context. We are awaiting a major Supreme Court ruling on a Mississippi law that bans abortion at 15 weeks and could very likely spell the end of Roe v. Wade. With a 6-3 conservative court, including three Trump-selected justices, I think we can all see where this is headed. Justice Kavanaugh all but announced his intentions during oral arguments in December. I think they also then continue, because the Constitution is neutral, that this court should be scrupulously neutral on the question of abortion, neither pro-choice nor pro-life, but because they say the Constitution doesn't give us the authority, we should leave it to the states. They are saying here, I think, that we should return to a position of neutrality uh, on that contentious social issue rather than continuing to pick sides on that issue. Mm -hmm. So if Roe is overturned or severely weakened, 21 states have laws or constitutional amendments in place to ban abortion as quickly as possible. States like Arizona, West Virginia, and Florida want to emulate Mississippi with their own 15-week bans. Florida was tinkering with the idea of a Texas-style six-week abortion ban, but now Republicans there are calling 15 weeks generous and very reasonable. Mind you, they also voted down exceptions for rape and incest because why should women who face a traumatic event be treated any differently? But it's their feigned talk of being generous that is the most galling. This isn't charity or some kind of gift being handed out by a benevolent, benevolent uncle. Forget the fact that abortion is presently legal up to the 24th week in Florida. What these Republican-run states are trying to do is make a 15-week ban the new normal as they outlaw abortion piece by piece and call it a compromise. They think they're being slick and acting as villains without being called out as villains. But women are onto their game. And that's why these fake, generous Florida Republicans are tonight's absolute worst. But the abortion ban is just one of the many items on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's extremist agenda. He wants to give the people, give people in Florida the right to sue schools and teachers over what they teach based on white student discomfort. And that's coming up next. Despite the centrality of slavery in this nation's history, the United States has never been very good about confronting it in a meaningful, truthful way, choosing instead to whitewash or sugarcoat it, a practice that may soon be the only way these topics are taught in Florida. If passed, Governor Ron DeSantis's Stop Woke Act will prohibit public schools and private businesses from making white people feel discomfort when they teach students or train employees about race or history or, frankly, anything. One wonders when Black History Month will become illegal in Florida. Parents and employees would also be able to sue if teachings or trainings make them feel discomfort or distress, placing educators in the impossible position of having to teach and discuss topics like slavery or the Holocaust without addressing the participants or their roles by race. Joining me now is Florida State Senator Chevron Jones and Nicole Hannah-Jones, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and creator of the 1619 Project. Thank you both for being here. And Chevron, I'm going to start with you first. You are on the uh, Education Committee. This, this is going to pass. 
Which version yes. of it is the likely one? Because I know there is one that was aimed at Disney, believe it or not, because they were doing trainings, you know, because they have international visitors from all over the world. And you had one Republican state senator say, that's not acceptable. You can't teach anything about, you know, treating people of color, you know, with respect, not don't like it. And he's got one version. And then you've got the governor's version. What is this bill likely to look like when it actually becomes law? Well, considering that we are almost at the halfway point through the session, uh, you you will end up seeing that both bills will probably end up coming together um, eventually because through negotiation. Uh, so I know that for a fact. That's not the only problem that we're dealing with. Another issue has just arose uh, that that's asking about what about uh, some of our our state military. Who, who do uh, implicit bias training. What about some of our other entities who are state workers who do these implicit bias trainings? Does this include them? Uh, there is a lot of vagueness within the legislation right now, uh, but I will tell you that right as we speak, uh, that as it, both chambers will pass a bill and towards the end of session, they'll end up coming together. And, and I mean, I, I ask this in all seriousness. Is Black History Month going to be legal in Florida? Honestly, because if a white student says, I feel comfortable that it's a whole month of Black history, I'm uncomfortable. Couldn't they sue? Well, here's, here's the thing. If you read the bill analysis, Joy, in the bill analysis, they do three things. It outlines the critical race theory. The bill analysis outlines the 1619 project. The bill analysis also makes it clear of the executive order from Donald Trump uh, blatantly written in the bill analysis. So they knew what they were doing when they wrote the bill in the first place. And sometimes I don't even read the entire bill analysis, but I chose to read it this time. And I looked at, I said to myself, we have to be kidding ourselves right now. Yeah. The fact that we're going down this route. And it's also unconstitutional. You can't, you, the government cannot tell people what to say mm -hmm. in their own workplace or people choose to work. That's, that's basic First Amendment. And Nicole Hannah Jones, I'm glad that the 1619 Project was mentioned. Whenever I do these segments, I always have a copy of, of all my favorite band books. And, you know, we've got here this one. They don't like this seahorse book because they think it promotes LGBT equality and that makes them sad. You know, of course, Born on the Water, which is the book that goes with 1619. I don't know why they don't like this mosquito book. My kids read this as a kid. I don't know why they don't like that, but they don't like that either. But here is the book. But here's the book that this is really about. All of this permutation honestly is about you. It's about the fact that you dared to say that slavery was central to our history and they were so livid that you now have them using the fear of the 1619 Project to pass these unconstitutional laws. I just want you to give us some context here. And just very quickly before I let you speak here, and we want to just hear from you. Florida is a state that is about 46% non-white. So we're talking about non-white children being told they cannot learn about themselves, Haitian kids, Cuban-American kids, black kids. Your, your thoughts. Well, one, thank you for highlighting this. I think this is such an important issue um, because these bills are anti-democratic. Let's just be clear. Um, when you ask, will we see Black History Month being outlawed? We're already seeing black history programming being challenged in some states, like in Alabama, because some white parents think that that's critical race theory and they don't want it to happen. It's amazing that all of these this free speech outrage uh, that people are uh, engaging in about certain artists and uh, others pulling their music or their podcast from a for profit streaming service uh, to protest, you know, a rich man who's still rich and still has his show. But the silence around politicians using the power of the state to make it illegal to teach ideas and concepts that they don't like. So let's be clear, Florida, 
This is the home of the Groveland Four, where four young uh, Black teenagers were falsely accused of raping a white girl. One was murdered and three, two received the death penalty and one received life in prison. This is the state where Harry and Harriet T. Moore were uh, assassinated in a house bombing. This is the state of Rosewood. This is the state where in 1920, uh, the Oakley Election Day massacre killed 60 Black people. Uh, because a white mob didn't like the fact that a black man tried to vote. So these bills, if you read them carefully, they're not saying we need to ensure history is taught truthfully. What they're saying is we need to ensure that we are only teaching a history that doesn't make yes. uh, children, and by children, they mean white children, uh, uncomfortable or feel anguish. Well, frankly, we should feel uncomfortable about racial uh, apartheid. We should feel uncomfortable about a history that violently suppressed black Americans' rights for the vast majority of the history of that state. Um, So these are not about truth. And I'm glad that you um, showcase how they're also using these laws against uh, LGBTQ communities, uh, against certain books about the Holocaust, because there was a lot of silence when these bills were only targeting the 1619 Project. But as I said, it was never going to stop there. It was always going to start encompassing texts about other marginalized groups. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and just to make your point, uh, the Washington Post did a piece where they talked to some of the people in Florida. They talked about this extremism of this bill. Rick Stevens of the Florida Citizens Alliance, a conservative advocacy group. This is cut two from my producer, sorry, saying we want teachers to take sides that slavery was wrong, but they don't need to take sides that one race purposefully did it. And so now that race is forever condemned and another race is forever exalted. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> that, that is insane, Nicole, because you can't, how do you teach slavery if you don't say the race of the enslaved and the enslavers? How do you teach Haitian history? Are you, are you going to say that these people revolted against these people, but we can't say who they were? You cannot teach this history without race. Obviously, uh, slavery was a racist, racialized system. Um, you could only be enslaved if you were of African descent and the enslavers were of European descent. So yes, again, these are not about teaching truth. That's why this is called uh, the Anti-Woke Act, which is just an asinine name for a bill anyway, uh, because they're not actually trying to teach truth. They're trying to teach a lie and they're trying to further the lie that this, uh, that we have all already been taught, frankly, um, they can just yep. teach it, keep teaching the standard history that most kids are getting anyway. Uh, it's insulting. It's demeaning. And uh, I, I love how all of these people who think the government should be small and restrained are fine with the government telling private companies what they can Correct. or cannot do with their own businesses. Yeah, yeah it's very Soviet. It's just so astounding. Yeah, it's very Soviet. Uh, Last word to you on this, Chevron. You have a governor who defends Joe Rogan's right to drop as many N-bombs as he wants and said that he should stick his chest out and never apologize. And I guess the N-word, he could, I guess that's okay, right? And he's fine with that and says, stick your chest out, Joe Rogan. Don't say nothing about that. But on this, he's like, but you may not say anything about Europeans who had slaves. Your thoughts very quickly. Yeah, what I can take is my my Angela second best. When people show you who they really are, believe them. This is the same governor that after George Floyd happened, had wanted to ban how black folk rioted in the street. So let's be clear. We know who Governor DeSantis is. He's shown it many a time. And he's shown you again. The free, free state of Florida for you, everybody. Thank you, uh, State Senator Chevron Jones, Nicole Hannah-Jones. That is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. 
Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.